I hear cars coming to the house. This is the area of mine. I think you should tell your down what everyone seems to know. I didn't tell Mama anything. Welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where Bam Rodriguez delivered a total solar eclipse. And it, what do you do? It's tricky. Now, I could allow my personal feelings to dictate the, the color and the shape of this episode. But none of you went through what I went through. So it's not fair on you guys for me to to do that. So the important thing to do, and I'm probably going to break this up into two parts because we've got to do a deep dive on the on the Matchroom show on Saturday because I think there's some themes in there that you're know, bare teasing out. But I also want to talk about the fight in and of itself because fights like that are really, really interesting, right? Because when I think of a unification fight, my expectation is one of two things. We're either going to get a knockout where we go, oh my God, how did that happen? Yeah, that sort of dramatic moment of just, whoo, which we got with uh, Joshua versus Ruiz 1. Or I'm expecting a 115-113, which justifies two champions fighting each other to unify the belts. That's really what you're expecting in unification. If a unification goes um, 116-112, uh, 170, 111, 120, 108, or whatever it is. If it goes that way, then we're just like, uh, why do we stay up? So if we go back, and I was asked my opinion on this fight, and my answer back was, I'd like Sonny to win because I think it's good for British boxing. And I said the fight would turn on this very thing. Could Bam Rodriguez anticipate and shut down Sonny Edwards' escape routes? Because... Many have tried and many have failed. In fact, some didn't even try because they didn't understand Sonny has pretty standard escape routes. And so that was always the question for me. If Bam could do that, I felt Sonny would have to fight him. And I didn't believe that was something Sonny was willing to do or would be good at. They were just my views as someone who's watched a lot of boxing. That's how I felt on Friday. And if you've DM'd me, you'll know that what I'm saying is true. So, come fight time, I expected to see Bam trying to set traps for Sonny, Sonny trying to anticipate those traps and not falling for them, and then I think most people expected it to be quite a technical fight, nip and tuck, and I expected, we'd, I, I thought we'd end the fight going, it depends entirely on what you like. Now, what we got was completely different. Um, <laughs> that was an ass-kicking. 
That's the definition of slowly having your pants pulled down, slowly being bent over the table, slowly having your wrists tied to the table legs, and slowly having a broom handle inserted. Metaphorically speaking, not literally. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. That was a unification fight where it looked like those two guys weren't on the same planet. Um, I don't believe Bam Rodriguez got out of third gear at many points in that fight. I think Bam Rodriguez was comfortable. It looked like Bam had seen everything before. Um, and where he wasn't sure, he just didn't take a risk. It's one of those performances, and the reason I'm going to praise Bam above all else in this episode is when you're truly elite, you do what you want to do when you want to do it. And Bam was able to do that, and Sonny wasn't. That's what makes Bam elite, because at that level, at that unification level, Bam Rodriguez was able to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. Sonny Edwards couldn't. And once you get those dynamics, the fight's no longer competitive. Because now it's just a question of, does Bam stay disciplined enough to then retain the control he has? So when we break it down and we look at what we really saw on Saturday night, I'll call it the ladder approach. You know, the way you get to the top of the ladder is by starting at the bottom. And I know it sounds obvious, but, you know, people can forget these things. So it's important to make sure the ladder's stable. And, you know, as you go up the rungs, you test it for stability to make sure you're still okay. And if you go, go, go and watch the first three rounds of it. Bam's got this gift, and I like this, of looking like he's going to rush in. But he only commits one step. Yeah. So Bam Rodriguez will retreat, retreat, retreat. You will come after him. Then he comes forward. But you think he's going to come all the way back in to regain the territory. No, he doesn't. Step forward, assess. Step forward again, assess. Once he's confident that he's got the pattern figured out, then he comes after you. It makes it incredibly hard to read because you don't know when he's going to come in. Because it's never after a set sequence. But his ability, that, that clarity under pressure, you can't explain to someone because Sonny's, no, Sonny's not a donkey. You know, Sonny's not a guy that's new to this. And so for Bam to post up as a southpaw and go, the best thing for me to do here is not to overcommit. He's done all the talking about the performance he's going to put on. So the pressure's on him to perform. Because Bam likes it when you come at him. Yeah. The minute you let your hand, any shot go against Bam Rodriguez, that's when he does his best work. So what I found interesting was on top of that, that unwillingness to commit, he posted that beautifully as a southpaw where he said, I don't know which way Sonny's going to go, but I'm going to shut down one avenue. Which means I've got control of these variables about where he goes next. And so if you notice, he was able to shut down Sonny's escape route down the left which left Sonny with only a right-sided exit. And then here's the beautiful thing about that. Instead of aiming for the head where most people go, and most people miss, Bam just started with the body. Like I said, the ladder approach. Get your fundamentals straight, then start working on the body. Once you get dominance in terms of the body work, then we start looking upstairs. 
And there was a point in that first kind of third of the fight where Bam's thrown a, a straight left at Sonny's body and Sonny's reaction was the kind of one where you're like, oh, it was like an Usyk reaction to a body shot where you're like, I don't think he likes that. And I think that gave Bam the, the hope and encouragement to carry on. And I think that's what was starting to, to chip away at Sonny, starting to slow the legs down a bit. And I know we're going to we'll come on to it later when we talk about the eye. But Bam was so preoccupied with going downstairs. Upstairs was just a distraction so he could get down there. So he was really using his southpaw jab to keep Sonny fixed and make sure Sonny couldn't move to his left and then just go into the body. And his gamble was clearly that as Sonny started to slow down, that's when the combinations would come. And so it was literally, <laughs> it became a fight of two halves. First five rounds, you know, Bam was trying to break him down, trying to establish control. Um, Bam figured out pretty quickly that Sonny wasn't going to hurt him, right? And so at various points in that fight, what Bam was able to do was say, hey, Sonny, I'm going to get you on the ropes and I'm going to let my hands go. And that's going to ask you a question. Do you want to stand and trade with Bam Rodriguez? And you could see from Sonny's reaction, he's like, nah, 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 nah. That's not my path to success. So now put yourself in Sonny Edwards' shoes. You're there going, I can't have power this guy. I don't have enough power to keep him off me. He's not as basic as I thought he was because all of these places I used to find safe harbor in, they're not available to me anymore. So Bam can box how he normally boxes because he knows there's no threat coming back. Sonny can't because all of a sudden that fluidity has gone because his options have been limited. And it doesn't look like they prepared for that. It looks like they prepared to use the full perimeter of the ring. And Bam was like, nope, I'm not allowing that. And so there were many times where you saw Sonny caught on the ropes, which doesn't normally happen. Because he can normally make a clever exit out to his left. And Bam was like, nope, not tonight. And then when he was trying to make the exit out to the right, there was a right hand to the body waiting for him. This is all demoralizing. And you could see there was a point when midway through the fight, Sonny's gone, right, I'm actually going to have to see what I can do here. And Sonny goes after him, but it was all hitting, all those shots he was throwing, hitting arms, hitting gloves, hitting wrists. It wasn't clean work like we're used to. But what Sonny was trying to do was make a stand. And Bam was like, nah, that ain't going to work. Reestablished his physical dominance over Sonny again. And what you started to see, sort of the, the latter three rounds of the fight were those cuts starting to have that psychological effect on Sonny, where he's like, yeah, I might be running out of time because, you know, the corner were, were heavy on the Vaseline, heavy on the cut work. Doctor was having a look. And so Sonny realizes, uh, I can't get away from him. Yeah, because if he could get away from Bam, he could have tried to coast, not coast his way, but move around the perimeter of the ring for the rest of the fight. Don't take too much punishment around there. And I wonder, and I might be wrong on this, was he going southpaw at those points where the eye started to hurt him? Because when Bam first saw the damage to the eye, he started to jab to it, and then suddenly started to switch. Right? So suddenly started to switch to southpaw to give himself a bit more distance. Maybe that was a double vision. Maybe he needed that distance. I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear Sonny's view on it. But... You look at that fight and at no point was Bam Rodriguez in trouble. 
I'm loath to say it was a sparring session for him because I think it was at a higher level than a sparring session. But it wasn't his hardest fight. I think Quadras probably gave him a harder fight. I think all the guys after Quadras probably gave him a harder fight. But it shows how exceptional Bam Rodriguez is that that wasn't a hard fight. And it's been hard fights for people who, who are no mugs. They may not be world beaters, but they're no mugs. So then we look at that that last round. Well, probably that the, the last round and a half. And everyone who saw that fight saw that Sonny wasn't moving. And that's when you saw Bam start to, to definitely rise up the ladder. You start to see the, the classic Central American approach to boxing. So a lot of lead uppercuts going into hooks to the body, then hooks to the head. Patterns of punches you're not necessarily used to when you're a Brit. And, you know, when you're taking those shots on the chin, the vibrations are going through to the eye. So if the eye is fractured, you're feeling this. So actually the pain's being amplified because even if you're catching the shots on the glove, it's hitting the eye socket. And Bam's figured out, I just had to keep touching him and this is going to get very uncomfortable. Then it's just about how much of this Sonny Edwards wants to take. And you watched it through round nine. And you're like, okay, this is... The end is nigh, is how you felt. Um, but Sonny getting dropped was probably the biggest surprise for me. And probably a sign of how much the fight took out of him. Because he got dropped folding in. Like Progre did. Progre got dropped against Haney for the same thing. I might talk about this in part two, because I didn't talk about Progre and Haney. But when you get caught, fold, not even necessarily folding in, but slipping in against someone of the opposite stance to you. You open up the opportunity for a straight shot or an uppercut to get you. Now, if you're Sonny Edwards and you're on full speed and full confidence, you can do that and get away with it. At that point in the fight, he couldn't. And he got dropped. And people say it was the first time he'd been dropped in his career. I think it's the second time he's been dropped. I swear Marcel Braithwaite put him down as well. But you see, when, when, when Sonny got dropped, and I just had this flashback, there was a point in the fight does anyone remember what round it was? If you do, feel free to tell me. Sonny Edwards has gone to retreat. And thinking that Bam Rodriguez would just come in after him, he's thrown a check hook and it's a complete air shot. Like, the, the punch is about 18 inches away from Bam Rodriguez. You imagine you're talking about a unification fight and Sonny Edwards is so far off. You can watch it. Like, that will become the gif. That will be the gif of the whole fight. Was Sonny stepping back, throwing a check Check left hook into thin air. And when he was down, he probably remembered that. And going, I've been put down. I've been outskilled. This guy's chopped my body to, to liver. I might have a fractured eye socket. I'm cut over both eyes. Um, this guy's a level above. And that's, that's a chase thing and a hurtful feeling to realize you're not the best in the world. And... At the end of that fight, when people say Sonny quit, it's a hard one to talk about. We'll come on to that in a second. But I can imagine he was sat in that corner between rounds. And it's dawned on him that Bam Rodriguez is on a completely different planet to him. And that if this fight happened a hundred times, he may win one. And that would be Bam on a bad day. And he remembers that he was he he air shotted, he got put down, like he 
had his body battered. And he's probably just going, I ain't even winning this. I could go the next few rounds and not get touched and I still can't win this fight. And he just, I don't think, people say if someone quits, I don't think it's about quitting. I think it's just like, what's the point? That's why I felt, I felt like Sonny was just showing us, like, what's, what's the actual point? And we all have very strong views on these things. But I don't know what it's like until you've been in that position. Have I been in similar? Yeah. Yeah, I can remember. And it's probably quite appropriate I'm talking about this. I remember we were playing rugby. I was... I was in the Colts at this point, right? Playing for the Southwest. And, like, you play Eastern Counties and stuff. And there was a clash of heads. And so my nose is broken. And, like, you can start to see the, the swelling form around my eye as well. And my, basically my face is a mess and I can feel it every time. Physio comes, resets the nose. It's still bleeding. And they were like, mate, you can come off if you want. <laughs> It's my second game for the Southwest. Like, it's the only thing I ever wanted in my life was to play for the Southwest because everyone had always talked it up and I'd been told I'd never get to that level. I carried on playing another 30 minutes. But that's different. Because you can find rest points in the fight. You can find rest points in the game where you're like, whew, they can go and deal with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be out here between the centers being a decoy runner for a bit. Right? You can do that. What do you do like... It's almost like dislocating your shoulder as a hooker and you've got to scrummage and scrummage and scrummage again. I don't think you can. I think you've got to tap out and get off the pitch. And I think it's the same in boxing. If you've got a fractured eye socket, the double vision thing doesn't necessarily bother me. I've boxed with double vision in my right eye from day one. I've done everything with double vision in my right eye. It's fine. But I've had years to calibrate. He didn't. He was used to being Sonny Edwards. And all of a sudden he realizes how dangerous it is. I think those, the last round and a half, those punches were starting to get to him. And I don't think Sonny was scared of Bam. I think he was scared of getting put out on the canvas, laid out. I think a lot of these boxers, we, we say they quit. And I don't want to say they quit. Because I don't think boxers quit. Like they go through hell to do what they do. I really think boxers fear social media. They, what do they call it in American sport? They don't want to be that poster. So you know when you see these NBA dunks and the guy basically dunks over somebody. Basically you get a guy's balls in your face. And no one wants that in the NBA. Like if someone does that to you, like you got body slammed them or something. And I think boxers are genuinely scared now of that kind of social media effect that they're going to have to see that knockout replayed over and over and over and over again. And so they go, nah, I'm not going through that. I feel that was Joshua in the Ruiz fight. I think that was Joshua in the Usyk fight. I think that's any time he's been on top for Joshua, I think he's, his fear isn't his opponent. His fear is that he's going to have to live with getting put on his back. And it'll be a meme and it'll be a gif. And it'll go all around the internet. They'll put a soundtrack to it. They'll put some motivational talk behind it. Like, you'll never escape it. Your family will never escape it. And sometimes it's better off just saying, guys, kill the fight. 
We ain't going to win this. Kill it. Is that quitting to me? No. It's more sad indictment of where we are as a society that we're in that position. Well, no. Stop, 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 stop. So let's run that back. There are some people for me who get a rough time on social media, considering they don't do a lot on social media. I put Joshua there as well. And I've always said Joshua pays a heavy price for being associated with Hearn. Because Hearn, Hearn can be an arsehole on social media. Often is. In fact, in anything he does, he normally is. And so Joshua suffered for, for being there. Joshua's rarely on social media. Like He got roasted so badly after that speech he made in Watford. You haven't seen him since. Right, I feel so. I feel for him, but there've been others historically, and I hope this doesn't kill my CBD endorsement. But Anthony Fowler was a good example before Scott Fitzgerald. His Twitter was unbearable. Post Scott Gerald, completely different man. Quite likable now, actually, and you you wish him all the best with the CBD business because you can see him really grafting at that. So I've become an Anthony Fowler fan since that defeat. But we can't talk about this fight and this defeat without talking about Sonny Edwards on social media. And I think it's fair that we do that. So initially you can defend Sonny and you can say, well, actually, Sonny only claps back at people who go at him. But I don't think that's true. If you look historically, Sonny has involved himself in situations that have nothing to do with him. Go back to, what was it? It was Amir Khan versus Terence Crawford. And, you know, he was, t- he, was, he was telling his followers that Amir Khan quit against Crawford. He called him a quitter. And, you know, he, he argued with people about that. Don't forget the, the young kid from Milton Keynes or Bletchley that he bullied, 15-year-old kid that he bullied. Um, we also don't forget the, the time he went on Facebook on Insta Live and people said, do you take drugs? And he started clapping back and getting needlessly aggressive with young boys. They were just young junior boxers. Uh, Let's not forget what he did with Shane McGuigan. And the list goes on, Curtis Woodhouse. Now, I don't know how many of these guys have antagonized him elsewhere. That's for him to answer. But when you're that visible on social media, when you're that um, confrontational on social media, when you're that guy on social media, when you slip up, you've got to expect it all to come back. So I've seen guys like Dave Caldwell try and criticise and castigate Curtis Woodhouse. I don't agree with that. I think Caldwell should should mind his damn business. Um, I think Sonny knows what's coming. He, him, his little army of grasses and rats who feed him information, they know what's coming. Because that's the nature of this game. You can't run away from it. And the problem he has is he can't come out swinging anymore because... You're not the guy that you told your fans you were. You you were scared of social media. You're on social media dishing it out and you were scared about getting laid out on your back. You, you were afraid of what the social media community would do to you. You were afraid of what those you wronged would do to you. There's an old expression, isn't there? Be careful how you treat people on the way up because you're going to see them on the way down. And Sonny Edwards right now is on the way down. And the reason I say that is 
as long as Bam Rodriguez stays at flyweight, there's no point in Sonny being there because we know he ain't anywhere near the best. Bam can go to 115 and he'd be fine. And then what do you do with Sonny? Do you put him in with Galal? I think Galal might do a lot of damage to him too. So what do you do with Sonny? You know what I mean? There aren't many little guys that Sonny hasn't fought in this country. So there's no money in it there. And what we saw yesterday is if he does go up to 115, it might be worse for him. So what do you do? Hopefully this means Sonny will, un- Sonny will now understand that the world is different when you've taken a loss. The world is different when you're not Superman. The world is different when you've got to take 60% less money to box again. Those people that followed you when they thought you'd be undisputed and unbeaten and you'd be this guy that would do everything they imagined their superhero would do. That all differs when the fight gets stopped with you on your stool. <laughs> there was no stool. And no one's been able to explain where the hell the stool was. Um, and it was weird, wasn't it? Because he's so small that I thought he was sat on something. I didn't realize he was stood up until like round four or five. That's insane. But just back to that point. We've all had to go through the social media education, which is be careful what you say, because when it's your turn to take it, you need to have equally broad shoulders. Sonny Edwards said a lot of things to a lot of people. And I know people have been to that gym looking for him and he hasn't been there. So this idea that he'll front out and face anybody isn't true. This is a reality. People have shown up at that gym looking for him. And they were told, please, please, man, it's just social media. People are trying to make peace. This social media thing's a dangerous game because one day you're going to bump into the people and you're going to bump into them while you're shopping or you're going to bump into them in places where you don't have security or people watching over you. And you've got to deal with those consequences. And he's going to live with that now. He'll tell you how great his life is and how he's living in a house he pays 750 quid a month for rent and how he's got his family. And that's lovely and on a human level. I hope he goes back, spends time with his kid and just chills out, has a good Christmas. I genuinely do. But if he doesn't use this defeat as, a, as an opportunity to reflect and go, what should I be doing on social media? If I've got this many followers, what should I be doing for the greater good of the sport? If he doesn't use this as an opportunity to do that, it will get rough for him on there. Because the internet doesn't forget and the internet doesn't forgive. So when people say to me, be kind, or I saw Hearn do an interview where he said, ah, oh, you, you got to think about this, you got to think about that. I, I really don't have to think about anything. I have to think about what he was doing. Because if you remember, I, I did an episode on how him and I had our disagreement. And I'll tell you what I said on Porky's Corner. If Sonny Edwards is as good as he's telling us he is, guys like Marcel Braithwaite, etc., etc., guys that should be out of there in five rounds. Yeah. Do you think Bam Rodriguez is going the distance with these guys? No. That was my only point. He got offended by that. Yeah. So I said two things. I said that. And then I said, Frank's plan is to build him up 
and then send him over to America to be fed to one of the Mexicans. I said this years ago. I said, that's the Queensbury plan with Sonny because there's no money for little dudes in the UK. So I said, he's going to have to go and fight them guys like Chocolatito, Bam, whoever. It wasn't Bam back then, but Chocolatito, Quadras, Shusaket, uh, Song, Rung, Versailles, whoever. I said, like, that's who he's going to have to go and fight. And he got offended by that, which is fair enough. And then he tried to do some kind of assassination thing. And, you know, people tried to be like, yeah, I know this about him. But like I said, I fly so straight in this thing called boxing. There's no dirt on me, really. Because I don't do anything in boxing. I coach people. When people ask me questions, I answer the questions. And outside of that, I shake hands, I have a laugh, and I'm trying to be a good human being. But social media will administer the justice to Sonny Edwards that it deems worthy. That's not for me to say. I'm just here to say there's no point in trying to defend him because you weren't defending the people he attacked. And those people have every right now to take their opportunity. So we just parked the, the events of fight night to one side. People are going to ask this question, what do you do next if you're Sonny Edwards? What he'll probably have to do, just considering he had a unification at 112, you can't hang around at 112 after unification. You've got to move up. But what's going to be different at 115? Like It wasn't like Sonny was peeled to the bone to make 112. So you're going to go to 115 where there are guys who will be peeled to the bone. But not only that, Bam's going to move up as well. And I've seen people tweeting that Sonny would beat Bam in a rematch. I'm just like, no. No. There's no guarantee that I'll ever be the same again, by the way. You know, history's telling us that eye problems tend to linger. If not physically, then psychologically, those eye problems tend to linger. Whatever he does is up to him, and I wish him all the best. I genuinely do, because, you know, he's, he's a character in boxing. I'd like to see him mature and evolve, 100%. But you wish him all the best. He's just got to take his licks right now. And once he takes his licks, Conor Ben is finding this out. If you don't take your licks, if you run away and you hide, the licks are just going to wait for you. It's coming. So if he takes it, fair play to him. You know, allow these guys like Curtis Woodhouse to have their moment. They, they, they've waited. Porky will have his moment. They've waited. And they deserve to have their moment. So I'm, I have no issue with that at all. I do want to talk about just this wider issue around British boxing because Peter McGrail... <laughs> It looked like Peter McGrell got hit with an SA-80 round, man. He looked like... It, it, it looked like he got hit with a Tomahawk missile. Now, people say to me, ah, oh, he's only young, he's 8 and 1. Peter McGrell's 27 years old. In his ninth fight, he got knocked the F out. In his ninth fight. By a guy who in American terms is a club fighter. And I took two things from that fight. One, Peter McGrail had no idea what to do against someone who was punching with him. Um, whatever that guy's name was, I nearly called him Oshaki Foster. But whatever he's like, Jermaine, okay, I can't even remember. Man. But Nice enough guy, man. Like That seemed to make his night. The fact that he beat Peter McGrail. But... I'm looking at all of these ex-top-level amateurs that we're producing and that we're hyping to high heaven. All of them. Right? Without exception. These Cameron Vuyongs. Um, it was... 
Cyrus Pattinson before. There's a Callum French. Uh, there's Dennis McCann now. There's the... Uh, Frankham boy. Johnny Frankham. Charlie Frankham, I can't remember. But yeah, one of the Frankhams. You got this Lee, Lee Lai, Gag. All these kids that they're all coming through. And they're meant to be amazing this, amazing that. We've bred a boxing culture of pretty soft kids. Great at amateur boxing. Great at point scoring. Right? Can score points all day. Give me four fast straight shots. Can do all of that stuff. They're all soft. The kids you see in gyms that are real gorillas. The kids you see in gyms that are actually taking heads off in sparring and in competition never bubble up to the top because GB don't like it. GB are paid or they get funding based on medals. They win medals based on points. I don't care what anyone says, the clicker system's never really died in amateur boxing because they don't reward people who rip to the body. So it's still about headshots and scoring points. That's why they talk about scoring points. Yeah? Keep scoring points, mate. Why would you say that if there are no points? Because everyone understands the judges are still on that clicker thing in their heads. And so what that's done is, and I've said this on numerous occasions, it's created a group of people who can score points but can't fight. And then if you bubble down into gyms, you walk into gyms and gyms are full of really nice kids from nice families. Some kids are getting dropped off in Mercedes SUVs. Some kids are getting dropped off in Range Rovers for boxing. I've met children of gangsters, right? And kids getting dropped off in a Bentley. And the old man may have been tasty, but I'm like, your kid's not you. Whatever your DNA is, great, fantastic. But your kid's not growing up in the same Deptford streets you did. Your kid's never going to be what you were. Your kid's soft. I've had to say this to people. Kids are soft now. That's why you're seeing all of these decorated amateurs getting beaten up and bullied. Because we select soft kids. We select soft kids because we've got a lot of soft coaches. In no other sport would I get the hard time that I get for the things that I say. Because I don't say anything controversial. Everything I say I believe. But we've got a generation of kids who can throw one-twos, one-two hooks. But if the going got tough, they'd check out. And if the going got tough, their parents would pull them out of boxing immediately. We stopped looking for the troubled kids. We stopped looking for the kids who had something to prove. We stopped looking for the kids who genuinely put it all on the line. We don't go to the estates anymore. We don't go to the Win Stanley. We don't go to the Patmore. We don't go down to the remnants of Angeltown and Myersfield. We don't go down to the Nightingale. We don't go to Broadwater Farm fishing for these kids who just want a way out. We don't go to the Alton. Do you know what I mean? We're no longer in places like Skemsdale. We're no longer in places like Bootle. We're no longer in places like Chapeltown and Leeds. We're no longer in places like St. Paul's and Bristol. 
We don't go to Cardiff Bay anymore looking for talent, for kids who want to find a way out of their situation. We don't go looking for them anymore. We just allow whatever comes in. And it's normally people who've got the five or the tenor to train. That already excludes a big demographic of kids who go on to do something. My ideal scenario is give me a kid that's had a few street fights, won them. And let's build from there. Because I ain't got to teach that kid how to fight. That's why our boxes are soft. Soft inputs are giving us soft outputs. Go all the way. Heavyweight. Supposedly the greatest heavyweight. Got put down by Steve Cunningham. Got put down by Francis Ngannou. Was too scared to mix it up with Vlad. As old as he was. Our next best heavyweight. Stopped by by a short chubby Mexican who just wanted it more. And since then hasn't been willing to trade with anyone apart from like Robert the granddad Hellenius. And Kubrat the even older granddad Pulev. That's what we have. We have a lot of guys who are soft. No, no SNC is going to bridge that gap, by the way. No SNC makes you tough. Look, supposedly the biggest fight in British boxing was from two kids from private schools, the children of ex-boxers, kids of privilege, yeah, about to fight each other, have nothing really to fight for in life. That's where we're at. Where are the miscreants? Where are the, the maladjusted? Where are those people who found purpose in boxing? Why aren't they walking in gyms? The reason they don't walk in gyms is that the people coaching now have no access to them. The people coaching now don't walk these states anymore. They ain't local. Everyone's jumping on, oh, I got my level one, oh, I got my level two. All right, cool. What the hell do you know about life? What do you know about boxing? What do you know about taking troubled kids and turning them into something? Nothing. And I've been saying this for a decade. And with guys like Peter McGrail, with guys like Sonny Edwards, with guys like Cyrus Pattinson, Callum French, all of these kids who are losing, losing in a similar way, not one of them banged their gloves together and said, if you're going to stop me, you're going to earn it tonight. Not one of those guys banged their gloves together, bit down at their gum shield and said, I just want a war now. How many Brits do you think could do that at world level? Just go and go toe to toe. We don't have a Carl Froch. You know, for all of his faults, we don't have a Bellew. Even a Hay. You saw Hay do that when his Achilles went. We talk about what's quitting and what's not quitting. That guy's Achilles snapped. I saw the scan. His Achilles snapped. And he fought on until he literally couldn't stand. So when I talk to my friends and they tell me that these two men are warriors and I say, what is your definition of a warrior? Because the benchmark is a warrior does what David Hay did when his Achilles snapped. That's what a warrior does. Anything below that 
you're not a warrior. Now, does that mean I'm saying I want people to, to sustain brain damage? No. What it does mean is that has to be our benchmark. You have to have that capability in you for us to buy your tickets, for us to believe in you. It's heartbreaking that so few do. We see it more in the women's game. Shouts out to Ebony Bridges. We see it more in the women's game than we do in the men's game. Because quitting's become cool. But only in that GB setup has it become cool. If you look at all the people we've said quit, who are Brits, they've all been part of that GB setup, right? Seems a fair point to end it. Peter McGrell is 27 years old. There is no maturation. There is no learning on the job when you're 27. These are your peak years, my friend, and you're 8 and 1. It's over. It's done. You waited too long, my friend. <laughs> Them's the breaks. Bam Rodriguez, unified champion at 23. How, how is Roberto Garcia? And let's actually take a, a second... To praise Roberto Garcia, living proof that if you give him someone talented, brave, and willing, he can make magic. Let's never judge him by that Joshua experience, because as he said, he never had a chance to impose his training ideas on him. So credit to um, Roberto Garcia's Boxing Academy, another guy they've churned out. And you're looking at Bam Rodriguez at 23. And here's something I can guarantee. He was sparring grown men at 15. You'd never get that here. So I'm going to say this again. The problem we have with our sport in this country is the people that run it. You shouldn't have amateur gyms and pro gyms. And you definitely shouldn't have it in London where it's so expensive to get property. My ideal scenario, if you gave me money to have a gym, I'd have a gym. And in that gym would be pros and amateurs. The pros would obviously train in the daytime because it's their job and the kids would come in in the evening. Now, there'd be some crossover at various points, but that would be good. Because if you're sparring, let's say you're, a, you're an 85 kilogram kid and you're 16. If you get to do six rounds with Isaac Chamberlain, your body's going to adapt to that level of work. You're going to get that hardness from having to resist those works because your body responds to the stress that it receives. There's a difference between getting hit by another 16-year-old and getting hit by Isaac Chamberlain. That's how you get the toughness. That's how you've traditionally got the toughness. That's why we talk about apprenticeships. In any field of life, your apprenticeship is about being around the older guys to learn from them. You don't learn from your peers. And until we fix this, this artificial and redundant distinction between an amateur and a pro gym, we're going to keep producing these papier-mâché boxes. I wish it were different, guys, but the decline is real. And it will carry on until we get our youngsters getting hit by tough, seasoned old veterans who know... Just enough pressure to apply to help you grow and develop. Oh, man, on that note, let me tap out on part one, man. There'll be a part two to follow. 
but that 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 will talk about other stuff um might be the last thing i do before christmas even before new year because i could do with a break but you know guys as always take care and i'll catch you on the other side <laughs>